personally am not excited about a world where there's 1 million chains because I do crypto data and a world indexing a million chains is like borderline impossible. We are so far away from solving that problem and that is not a problem I want to have to deal with. So I, 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 part of me just doesn't want Celestia to work, but the reality is they need a shit ton more data to be created to be economically viable. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that, like Dan and I, you believe the future of finance is on the blockchain. And we're excited that London is becoming a global hub for blockchain innovation and institutional adoption of digital assets. That's why we're pumped to host the 2024 Digital Asset Summit in London this March. Don't miss your chance to get ahead of the curve. Later in this episode, we'll tell you how you can save 20% off on your ticket. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. We have an awesome analyst episode lined up for you today on uh, December 4th is the date of recording, and we're joined by Matt and Zero X Pibbles to jam on the latest market happenings this week. Uh, before we dive into it, I do want to shout out BlockWorks Research. Be sure to go to blockworksresearch.com and use code 0xresearch10 for 10% off an annual subscription. Uh, Pibbles, you want to kick us off with a little hot seat cool throne? Yeah, I've got a big old cool throne for the Pudgy Penguins community. Uh, they made a new all-time high in ETH this past weekend like topping out around 10 ETH. And it's just like a phenomenal ROI through a bear market for an NFT. Uh, they had a couple of really positive things going on. Like for one, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, the Pudgy Penguins toys. I actually have one of these. I, I got them when they first came out. They're, uh, they're a really hot item right now. So that's sick. Um, I think the, the IP is like really attractive and I think they genuinely have a chance at being like the most successful NFT project in crypto. Uh, we also saw that they had a some sort of like ZK Sync collaboration. They hosted an event together last week and there's speculation that Pudgy Penguins are going to build the Pudgyverse on a, a ZK Sync hyper chain. So it'll be super interesting if like they actually successfully ship this huge, like basically like a club penguin experience and migrate it to ZK Sync. And I think ZK Sync needs them a lot more than Pudgies need ZK Sync. So that's a pretty interesting dynamic to track. I think that like Pudgies overall, like it's it should be pretty easy for them to flip Board Ape Yacht Club, which is still sitting at like a 30 ETH floor. So in my mind, if like the market continues to do hot, then like Pudgies are a buy up until 30 ETH and no less. ZK Sync needs Pudgy Penguins less than Pudgy Peng more than Z Pudgy Penguins needs ZK Sync is is a bold statement there. I like it though. Uh, what did they? Is there any speculation around like what exactly uh, this this hyperchain would be used for? I know it's just the uh, the thing to do these days to launch your own L two or your own chain in in any capacity. But I'm curious if they like laid out any or rumored any potential uses for this. So it's pretty unclear from the speculation that I'm trying to find, but I know like, for instance, with the, the pudgy penguin figures that they're shipping out now, that comes with a QR code and you get this like soul bound pudgy penguin on the polygon network. Cause they have some like browser based game on polygon right now. I'm not sure exactly how it settles to polygon or how it's connected, but um, from what I can gather, it looks like they'll just be migrating and doing their final pudgy verse on ZK Sync somehow. So super excited to see how that goes. And you also have to think there's going to be a pudgy token at some point. There has to be. So maybe that'll be on ZK Sync. I bought my pudgy toy right when it came out and like set up that pudgy world account or whatever on Polygon. I haven't looked at it in a few months, to be honest, but I was pretty impressed when I first checked out the game. It was kind of like a Sims type thing or Sims type deal. But I'm not gonna lie, like I went to the marketplace and you can like dress your pudgy up, like you know, go trade, whatever. It kinda like when you when you put this code into Pudgy World, you get items with your with your penguin. And you know, like I wanted the coolest gear. So I got my, you know, it was only like five or ten dollars, but I went and bought, you know, whatever crazy helmet and crazy, crazy merch for my pudgy immediately. So I gotta say, like, I got roped into it even on Polygon, and I don't do anything on Polygon. So um, overall, like I've been super impressed with the team and their ability to ship. And uh, I am also very sad that I don't have my forever pudgy. Like when it comes to looking at board apes, like, I have no no interest in buying a board ape. They, I don't think it, it doesn't resonate with me. But the pudgy penguins are these like happy NFTs that that I kind of want. So it's it's interesting how that 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 dynamic has changed between like 
bored or sad or mad or whatever. But, uh, you know, something happy and nice is, is kind of cool. I was just going to say, I went on uh, that same interface that you were just talking about, Matt, and it was like very Webkin's vibes. Like they also have some mini games like a Crossy Roads ripoff, which I actually found myself playing for like an hour. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see what, what comes out of it. I do think the ZK Sync partnership was announced like a month or two ago, actually. And so maybe the the rumblings you're hearing, Pibbles, is uh, something like actually concrete that's coming to market soon. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, when you pull up this price chart, it, it is pretty impressive to see this run up all throughout a bear market. But Matt, I'm curious, did you uh, do you want your forever pudgy before or after this run up? Dude, I have all these all these like you know toy NFT things, but none of them are the real pudgy penguins. And I was I was been shopping for a while. Like I think I'm not gonna lie. Like I started shopping for one around four or five ETH on the way up, and then you know suddenly I'm priced out, and I don't can't for some reason I can't get myself to go spend. Uh, I think they're sitting at like some 22 grand or something on it on an NFT. But uh, I guess, you know, we'll see. That might change in the, in the future. We'll see if I got any nice airdrops. I know you guys are uh, also big Mad Lads guys. How are those things going on Solana? Mad Lads have been ripping. I'm pretty sure they're sitting pretty close to 200 soul right now. They had like a little pullback. You know, they got to 200 and then pulled back down to like 150 or 160. And now they're back on their way up. It's pretty crazy to see how many big influential people on CT are changing their profile pictures to Mad Lads and just the buzz all around it. I think one thing that's really cool is like I've been using Backpack Wallet a ton. I completely switched from Phantom to Backpack. So, you know, their wallet in my head is almost one out, at least, you know, for my personal user experience. And then also the exchange, which I haven't had a chance to use because they geoblocked the US. But, you know, if that exchange and the wallet both manage to see success and they somehow tie Mad Lads and the staking mechanism and you know, I'm accruing some kind of points with my stake mad lad with no no real uh, knowledge about what that actually will ever do. But if one day that's tied to the value of the wallet and, the, and you know, the exchange, I could see these being something that stick around for the long term. And, and it's clearly like the blue chip NFT of Solana. So pretty excited to, to have my hands on one of those. Yeah, I scooped a lassie. I, I love it, honestly. I think the Mad Lads art is super cool. I also was looking at that backpack exchange data on Dune, and it looks like they have... Uh, 18 million dollars of, of customer deposits yet they only have a few assets listed so that's pretty impressive and honestly a testament to the power of having an nft community and being able to like shill your own product to them honestly kind of cool i think the wallet to nft dynamic is something interesting that hasn't been explored super well but it kind of like if you're you know a, one thing a wallet does well or like a metamask or a backpack is it onboards these new users into crypto and one way that they should be able to capture value pretty well is through NFTs. And it's something that hasn't really been explored so much, but I'm excited to see that, you know, Backpack and Mad Lads are at least starting to look at how there's a dynamic there that could create value for a wallet and, you know, vice versa for an NFT. Yeah, agreed. One more thing on that too. I think some of the price action has to do with Haiti, Haiti swap or whatever. They have like a, a shitload of Mad Lads uh, that they've gotten like a, a pseudo swap ripoff in a pool. So like there's like $400,000 of liquidity to sell into or something like that last time I checked. So I that's probably definitely like providing a floor to the, the price of the NFTs themselves. Yeah, it looks like there's about a nice 3x over the last three weeks there for the Mad Lads folks. No, I definitely don't think anyone's complaining about that. How do the uh, marketplace dynamics look on Solana? I know, you know, obviously with over in Ethereum land, the the launch of Blur has really cannibalized OpenSea and is honestly been purely pure dominance ever since launch. But I'm, I'm curious, what does that really look like uh, over on Solana? I believe last time I checked, Tenzer had about a 65% market share with Magic Eden at about 30% and then Hadeswap at about 5%. So I think it's pretty much equivalent to the, the Blur and then OpenSea and then the rest uh, for Ethereum. One interesting thing is over in Solana world, like it, you'd have to imagine that Magic Eden and Tensor and probably Hades, I'm not sure about if Hades already does, but these these projects will probably launch tokens and don't yet. Like, you know, I think everyone, a lot of people speculate an OpenSea token, but that's not something that I realistically like would put a high probability on, whereas all three of the exchanges on Solana, I would put a high probability release a token at some time in 2024. It's also like Mad Lads and Pudgy Penguins are the two we mentioned, but there's tons of NFTs pumping. It's kind of crazy to see this narrative coming back. Um, I guess it shouldn't be surprising because so many people thought it was dead. And whenever anyone thinks something's dead, it tends to be, you know, the catalyst for it becoming relevant again. But I think Sappy Seals and Ken Pie Pan Pandas, or I'm sure I butchered that, but, you know, there's, there's all these NFT projects that are starting to like gain some traction especially ones that, you know, if they said they were going to build a game, have built a game or have f done things that they said they were going to do throughout the bear market. 
So I'm definitely starting to put some risk back onto the NFT space for sure. Yeah, and I'd say the the biggest winner out of all this is still gonna be Blur. Like even like Tensor on Solana, that didn't come along until after Blur launched. Like they saw the features that Blur integrated and they're like, we need to do that somewhere else. So they did that on Solana. So like Blur will just benefit so much from NFT volume on Ethereum as that picks up. And I think like it really is like the first sort of like index coin that you can attribute to NFTs. Actually, that leads a that leads me with an interesting question, Dan. You just had pulled up that chart of the pudgy penguins price. I'm not sure if you're able to switch that to like U.S. dollar denominated, but just based on like, I guess sentiment on crypto Twitter, I would guess that Mad Lads were up like five x more than Pudgies, just based on my timeline. And I follow primarily ETH people, actually. So I'm I'm curious, like dollar terms, what are we looking at here? Putting a lot of pressure on me for the live chart updates, but uh, <laughs> especially in a in a sector where I don't personally spend a ton of time, uh, I have nope. no idea. I can change this to USD. What's worth? Uh, this was nftpricefloor.com. I'm sure that's like a really quick way to expose me for checking NFT prices too. I'm pretty sure that if you look at a six or seven month time frame, like you know, since Mad Lads had come out for a few days that they were sitting around $750. Now they're around like 15 or 16 grand floor. I think pudgy penguins were around four or $5,000 of like around that same time ago. And are now sitting around 22. Yeah. That, that's all park about right, Matt. In the beginning of 2023, pudgies were about six and a half and they fell down to what looks like about a low of three, 3.25. Um, and then really since July, that's when looks like a bottom formed and it's been running since. I hate that I know that off the top of my head. That, that is hor- <laughs> a horrible piece of knowledge to have. That That's proof you have been looking for your forever penguin. Uh, I can, uh, if that wraps it up for NFTs, then I think I can move us over to the next hot seat, Cool Throne, which I, uh, I've i got Celestia in there. I'll save Celestia for later. I, uh, I got the app chain thesis in the hot seat. Uh, this week we saw some pretty interesting governance updates or more so just forum discussions. Uh, I apologize for my voice here. This is my flu game, so I'm out here battling. But uh, in the Mars Protocol Governance Forum, there's a post that sort of suggested the idea of deprecating their app chain because they're a a Cosmos-based app chain built on the SDK. um, And they're going to deprecate the app chain in favor of making Neutron the new home base for the protocol. Um, So Neutron is this Cosmosm-based general-purpose chain uh, and it has kind of been getting a bit of tra- traction as sort of this DeFi hub for the broader Cosmos ecosystem. And I think part of the reason why they, the protocol is kind of debating this is really around the idea of maybe the the app chain kind of became more of this baggage that they've had to carry with them rather than this like great idea. Because right now, all the app chain itself is used for uh, is governance coordination. All of the lending and borrowing that occurs through Mars happens on what they like call outposts, right? So there's an outpost on UMI or there's an outpost on Neutron and there's an outpost on Osmosis. And both of their both of those separate changes where the actual lending activity occurs. Uh, and so within this governance forum, they actually had a, a quick snippet that I want to read out because I found this very, very interesting as sort of their justification here. So they said, given the accelerating adoption of these alternatives, we believe Cosmos has a short window of opportunity to react and not be overshadowed by Ethereum in a paradigm which it had many steps of the initial advantage. We believe more consolidation, collaboration, and alignment is necessary within the Cosmos to compete. I found that super, super interesting uh, because they're really trying to like push forward this idea of a shared vision which has kind of been one of those points that people have said, like, hey, the Cosmos doesn't have that shared vision or that one single token to rally around to kind of help create a broader ecosystem and kind of get some of those network effects. Although I would kind of push back and say, I think there is a shared vision there, uh, but there's there's definitely room to be discussed around, like, yeah, there probably is no broader token uh, with a lot of the, the issues that uh, the Cosmos hub itself has had to deal with. So one of the other interesting things here in this proposal was the Neutron Grant team is actually offering 3 million USDC to come build on Mars in return for 60 million Mars token locked linearly for six years. Uh, currently, the Mars token is trading at around 10 cents. Um, so an interesting little trade there. 
And Larry OX is an independent engineer, actually had a really good thread. He's uh, been a contributor to the Mars Protocol, uh, if not launch, basically since launch. And he had some really, really good insights here. And I think some of it's worth discussing. So he said the rationale for the app chain was based on two key assumptions. One, there would be more, there'd be many successful Cosmos DeFi chains and Mars Protocol would be deployed on many of them. In this case, a coordination hub would be helpful. And two, the protocol would make enough revenue that it, would be, that it would be sustainable for validators to operate. And he notes that both assumptions have turned out wrong and that the Mars app chain has indeed become more bag more of like baggage and drag than an actual asset. So right now, Mars is emitting about 9 million tokens each year in security budget. And there's only about 3 million Mars tokens uh, in, in liquidity on osmosis. So the inflation is, is very material. It is very huge. Um, and it clearly is having an impact here. And so the reason why I put app chains as a whole in the hot seat here is because what they're doing is basically unwinding their app chain in favor of a smart contract-based protocol. And this isn't the first time in the last few months where we've seen some chatter around this, right? If you remember Stride proposed joining the Cosmos Hub, which creates a huge uproar, uh, and that's ultimately kind of stalled out and is going nowhere. Umi and Osmosis kind of have this merger rumor as well. So it kind of seems like nobody wants their own chain anymore. Um, and it's probably a little bit harsh to put the whole of the app chain thesis in the uh, in the hot seat here. But um, I just think it's it's a bit of, and nothing's really changed, right? Like it still makes more sense to start as a, a, a smart, smart contract-based protocol, rapidly iterate, find product market fit, uh, and then migrate to, you know, maybe you need some more customization at this point, a la DYDX and, you know, now they're, they're, DYDX is really the, the counter argument here, right? Because they're starting to see some success uh, and oh, the chain's about a month old now, if even that, and we're already seeing over a hundred million in daily volume as of today. Uh, so, you know, I, th I think they're, it's probably a bit extreme to put the, the app chain thesis in the hot seat here, but at the end of the day, it is kind of interesting to see some of that uh, backwardation or unwinding of, of some of these app chains. And it kind of makes sense, right? It's, there's, this kind of gets back to the the longstanding debate of is issuance a cost, but it was, it was interesting to note that the pernicious infe uh, effects of inflation were one of the cited reasons as to why uh, this this kind of makes sense to, to take this next step for Mars. I'll push back against the dead app chain thesis. I think the app chain thesis is strong. Like I think there's still a lot of incentive for a project that has you know gotten to the point in its in its evolution where it's seen product market fit and kind of how you described to actually go launch an app chain. But one thing that could definitely be held in that hot seat is Cosmos and its tokens. Um, Adam is just, you know, the worst performer in the top 100 on the year, I think, if not the worst, top five, 100%. Um, you know, even DYDX recently posted, I'm not sure if you guys spoke about the big unlocks last week, but, you know, there's a large unlock where the supply basically doubled and uh, the price action since then has been lackluster, to say the least, as well. And, you know, overall, the token price action has not been great, with the exception of Axelar doing pretty well last week uh, after the announcement that Wormhole raised $2.5 billion at a $2.5 billion valuation. Um, so Axler got the whole, the whole bridging industry got a whole bit of a, a repricing there. But overall, like it does seem that Cosmos tokens are having a ton of trouble finding, you know, finding interest from, from those that are speculating on the future of crypto, especially when you compare it to, you know, the likes of Solana, which has been, been just absolutely pumping for the last few months. Um, I could see it changing, but, you know, personally, I wouldn't position myself with that assumption. So I do agree, you know, app chain thesis is a strong word, but Cosmos tokens, I would put in the hot seat. No question. I'm a little bit worried, I guess, on like everyone's saying, yeah, okay, go launch it as a smart contract, like based app and then migrate to your own app chain once you have product market fit. I think DYDX is just the most interesting test of all time because I... I'm trying to think through like possible ramifications of this and not, like obviously DYDX isn't using their own token to incentivize validation uh, of the network. So I guess I feel like as a proof of stake chain with your security tied to the token, if cash flow is crater, then your token price craters as well alongside that, then doesn't the security of your network go down? Like, I don't know. I'm just not sold on the fact that yeah, the app chain thesis is great once you like reach product market fit and have cash flows is basically what I'm getting at. All right, Zero X Research listeners, we're calling on you to join us for the premier institutional crypto conference in Europe's crypto capital, London, this March 2024. You're going to get to hear exclusive insights from industry trailblazers on things like leveraging DeFi protocols for institutional yield, 
tokenizing real world assets with instant settlement, navigating the evolving global regulatory landscape, integrating digital assets into banking and payments, or crafting institutional investment mandates with digital assets as the key focus. We'll also be featuring some big keynote speakers, including Melvin Dang, the CEO at QCP Capital, Mark Yusko, the CEO and managing partner of Morgan Creek Capital, and Stani Kaluchin, the founder and CEO of Ave Companies. This is not an event you're going to want to miss. Seats are limited, so be sure to register today by hitting the link in the description and using promo code 0x20 to save 20% on your tickets. See you in London, the land of tasty pastries, and be sure to hit up Dan and I for a beer. Here's an interesting question. Is DYDX not, like, is the DYDX token not being used for its security budget or because it's used in incentives and that's what drives volume, which is what drives fees, which is what's used for the security budget? Is it kind of... Like without without the DYDX token being emitted, would there be uh you know USDC being driven to these validators? Well, I guess that's basically a question of is it a good product, right? And I think perps as a whole are something that's seen a lot of growth and acceleration uh, in DeFi, and rightfully so. I th- I think they're they're a great product, and they do a great job of it bringing what the user is looking for, which you know for better or for worse is leverage on speculation. Uh, so I, I, I do think that perps are them. So the, I, what I'm saying, I guess, is the sector itself, I think is one of the few that, uh, you would classify as having product market fit. The question is, does DYDX and, uh, you know, I think they've been the long leader in volume. And, uh, the question ultimately is when you turn off those incentives, that's your true organic usage. And like, that is the measure of your product market fit. If you're paying people to use your protocol, you can't include that in your, you know, your product market fit, but. Um, also prove the fact that you're paying people doesn't necessarily mean you don't have that organic user base. And with the high quality product focused team that DYDX is and will continue to be, it's pretty hard to bet against them in my opinion. And their order books are the right way to go. They're building out on a different tech stack with the sole reason of decentralizing that order book and making it kind of exist forever. Um, So that's a long-winded answer to say, yeah, I, I do think that that is something that would apply to DYDX. But it very much so does not apply to the next latest and greatest perps text that's <laughs> a fork of somebody else and is just doing the exact same thing and paying people to cope and trade there. Because no, when they turn off the incentives and they turn off the paying people to come you know, use their platform, that, that cohort of people is just going to go to the next protocol that is being that they can get paid to use. That's, that is not sticky usership. Speaking of the perps clubs, it's interesting to see, you know, kind of across the board of repricing there as well since DYDX before launch. So we've seen, you know, really good price action from RBN, which will soon be the AVO token. Um, for those that, you know, maybe don't know, Ribbon recently launched AVO. It's a layer two built with the OP stack uh, that's also used for trading perps and as well as options. So it's a derivatives exchange, but predominantly its volume is in perps. They've been really good about listing tokens that are further out on the risk curve, maybe, uh, you know, things that other exchanges aren't listing. So at Pith before Pith released, I forget, you know, they have a new one recently that was also something that has yet to do token generation. Uh, it was Gito, I believe. They have Blast too, yeah. Blast, so that you're, they're really good about, you know, listing and putting out on assets that, you know, would potentially drive more users there. The token's been absolutely ripping. Um, I predominantly thought that that was attributed to just order books in general, but I think like RBN is another one to watch, especially after DYDX made this major, uh, you know, took this big risk in moving to a, to a Cosmos chain. And then also, you know, Vertex, of course, like I, I know we've spoken about it over and over again, but the VRTX tokens had a $500 million FTV last I looked like that's a significant valuation in the crypto market today. Um, so definitely interesting to see the order book narrative continue across as AMMs kind of trail behind. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the pre-launch futures thing. I think that's a really, really unique thing that they're doing. Uh, And it's cool that they even offer it before tokenomics are even released, right? Because it's hard to say like, oh, here's the price if you don't know the supply distribution. But they have this really interesting mechanism uh, where they basically just assign it a uh, distribution. So that way they can create a price off of it. And then they do like basically a, a stock split effectively when they do find out the actual tokenomics and token launches. And then so you'll get either more or less shares. So when the price changes, your your overall position doesn't change in size, which is really fucking cool, to be honest. Um, and interestingly, right now, Blast is trading at a about a $3.6 billion FTV for, for those who are interested. And I also think that they're, uh, 
their latest uh, deposit stats was like what seven or eight hundred million. Yeah, I saw seven hundred million earlier today. That's just absolutely crazy. <laughs> Locking your stuff up with this price action across the board for three months. I I can't believe that honestly. If you lock stables there, I think that might have ended up being like the most ultimate midwit move of the start of this cycle. You don't know it's at least three months, and what are the odds they actually put out an L two on time? That's like that's no small task. Um, you lock stables for like what four or five percent of T bill yield plus the most PVP'd token airdrop that we've probably seen ever, debatably ever, if not ever, then at least within the last year. So. That's that's that hurts. Uh, if you have a locked ETH, well, like at least you're getting ETH price action. Yeah, it's crazy. Roping this back into the the app chain thesis, though, as you were mentioning on your hot seat, Dan, I I will like give DYDX a lot of credit too. Like they're only giving thirty percent rebates right now, and you're still seeing over six figs of daily volume. And then on top of that, because they went to this alternative architecture, they can actually give out those rebates on a block by block basis. They can share USDC with DYDX stakers on a block by block basis. They can you know, combat MEV in ways that you wouldn't be able to do on a general purpose chain. They can have lower latency, so therefore process more volume every single day if they actually reach scale. And all of this is due to the app chain architecture. So I see like the bull case for app chain. So I'll push back a little bit on you, Dan, but I do agree. Like I don't know where my mind's at yet when it comes to paying for security uh, and, and what the optimal token design is. I got to say that collaborative block building, which is the MEV mitigation technique that uh, DYDX is using that you talked about, that you talked about is something that is super freaking cool and being overlooked by pretty much everyone. So like DYDX obviously chose to move to V4 to decentralize their order book so that it would no longer be stored on uh, AWS, but rather in validator memory. But like another benefit that they you know hadn't announced until more recently was that they were going to, and they might not have even found it until more recently, but using ABCI++, which is like a tech stack uniquely enabled by the Cosmos, they're actually able to, you know, mitigate MEV to an extent that is not achievable in any other ecosystem. So I got to say that's like mostly being overlooked or you know, at least on my, on my timeline and in my circles, mostly being overlooked. And that's so freaking cool. Like that is a huge innovation that, you know, most people aren't even talking about. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I think DYDX is like the the textbook definition of why you would want an app chain, right? Like they every every goal they had was enabled by that app chain, which is a really, really cool thing to see. I'm definitely excited about what they're doing. The question is for the broader app chain thesis, how many more apps does that make sense for? I mean, if you look at some of the largest apps today, like UDSwap, for example, I know that their their app chain gets tossed around every now and then. But Uniswap is as dominant as it is because it is on ETH mainnet where all the liquidity is. And I have yet to see a layout for an app chain where it makes more sense than just being where your liquidity is. So I, I don't know. It's like that one doesn't make sense. You keep going down the list and like I just start to run out of ideas, to be honest with you. Maybe gaming. Gaming is an interesting one. Sam and I were actually just like throwing ideas back and forth the other day. And I was like, if a game came to you and was like, I need to build uh, my own chain for my my game, like where would I build? It was kind of like a, a very tough question to answer. It's not just like a clear, like, oh, you would clearly go build a game on this framework, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, gaming seems to be like the hottest competitive space among L1 grants programs, foundations, whatever, even L2s, but mostly L1s. Like Avalanche has that huge ecosystem fund. If I remember correctly, they funded it with like multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, like obviously we have uh, Parallel and Shrapnel and we have all these projects, Alluvium, who have been gaining major, major price action recently. So clearly like, you know, gaming, something's on, on everyone's mind and there you're completely right. Like there is no, this is where you should go build your game. So I think that that's definitely one thing that I'm keeping a close eye on for sure. Yeah, especially with uh, Lattice and Redstone. I'm really excited to watch how that one plays out. I recently started playing this game 77-bit. It was like, it used to be called Ragnarok, and then they mis mismanaged their treasury, like all the ETH they'd raised in their NFT ICO, or Mint, whatever. Um, they like they, they got caught trading and lost it all, <laughs> like when the market turned to the downside. So they had this huge PR scandal. You know, the NFTs dumped from, I don't know, I'm making this up, but call it from 1 ETH to like 0.1 ETH. And then recently they launched the game and they've kind of been climbing recently. And I definitely like kind of, I don't know, random, super liquid moonshot play, but it's pretty fun. Pretty fun. I feel like I remember that, that exact thing. Like, didn't the founder write like 
a really long like note on his iPhone or something and posted on Twitter and like basically said, yeah, we, we day traded the treasury and lost it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That shit is actually hilarious. <laughs> well, props to them for continuing, continuing to build after that, but I can take it uh, for my hot seat. Actually cool throw on this week. I've got Bitcoin. I mean, this one's pretty easy. Everything that's even kind of related to Bitcoin is, is up. Honestly, Bitcoin's up like 137% over the last uh, 12 months, so beginning of December last year. If you look at GBTC, people who were brave enough to buy that are up 282%, so pretty much doubled Bitcoin's performance because of that steep discount to, uh, to the net asset value like under management. And uh, it's still trading at a 9% discount uh, with the spot ETF decision from the SEC expected between January 5th and 10th. So if there's any more brave souls there, there's, there's that play as well because I think that's supposed to get converted. Mining stocks are obviously up ridiculously. Rune is up an ungodly amount, and they have a shitload of Bitcoin liquidity available and streaming swaps. So people are shoveling quite a bit of liquidity through there. You've got Ordi, the the token for some ordinals marketplace. That thing's been in price discovery all weekend. Uh, STX up huge. Um, Coinbase, don't even get us started, obviously. We love to talk Coinbase. Um, but yeah, I mean, Everyone's making money on anything related to Bitcoin. Michael Saylor, El Salvador, they're in the green. And normies aren't even talking about crypto yet. So if that's not bullish, I don't know what is. But I don't know if you guys have seen any other cool Bitcoin plays you'd be willing to share. I think one interesting aspect of the Bitcoin price action recently is how much of it could or seems to be to me TradFi coming into the market. This is perfectly shown in you know the CME futures basis, which is currently trading at about 20% for both Bitcoin and ETH as open interest on both those assets has doubled in like a little over a month, um, more than doubled. So like what that shows me is that there's this institutional or TradFi desire appetite to get, you know, spot to get exposure to the crypto assets, but that is not willing to long spot. They're not willing to deal with self-custody. They think that there's probably exchange risk and exchange custody post FTX. So, you know, they want to do what they're used to and and go long through CME futures. Um, And this is speculation. You know, there could be other examples of why this could happen. But that basis is absolutely absurd. Like willing to pay 20% annualized to have a long position through CME futures is just, you know, that is a substantial number. So clearly, you know, insiders are are speculating that this ETF is coming. Um, At least that's my perspective on what this price action has been recently. It seems to have recently switched from a you know, when will it happen to a, this thing is imminently coming, uh, at least in the common purview. So yeah, like definitely happy that I have a little bit of Bitcoin exposure and, uh, we'll be watching those futures as well. What's the, uh, the basis on the, like the next deepest, uh, the next most liquid futures market, if you know, like if CME is 20, how much are they overpaying by, I guess is my question there. Um, I, I, yeah, not just going to throw you at that and <laughs> assume you know off the top of your head, so I'll give you a minute here. But Sam, you mentioned ThorChain, and you're right. They've been doing some crazy, crazy numbers on Bitcoin volume. They uh, there was a, I think it was last week, they were hitting top three, top five in total Bitcoin volume, including centralized exchanges. That is very insane for a decentralized protocol competing with some of the largest players in the, in the entire world, uh, both centralized and decentralized. So props to them. I mean... Nah, I don't totally love the whole ending model, to be completely honest, but what they've been doing is is honestly continue beating the drum of their entire vision the whole the whole time. So props to them for continuing to build uh, towards that vision. Um, but it'll be like, I don't know. It seems like the whole, everything, because of how important price is, the rune, rune price is for the lending protocol, it seems like everybody in that ecosystem's vision and attention has now just staring directly at price and like that's probably not the best thing uh so it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out yeah i saw chad bearford bull posting about rune's price like 18 times over the last few months and i love that guy he's one of my favorite guests we've had on this pod to be completely honest i think he's fucking hilarious but you don't really want your lead dev tweeting about price constantly i feel like <laughs> what's uh Pibbles, I know you spend a lot of time looking at ordinals and whatnot. I'd love to hear if you got any latest and greatest over in the ordinal side of things. Yeah, that's proprietary information that I <laughs> no. I'm looking at uh, Node Monkeys will probably come out this week. Um, I think that's going to be like probably one of the most hyped ordinals collections to ever do it. I'm going to try to get a bunch of Node Monkeys. I think they look pretty cool too. 
And then you've got like all these like DGEN, like Bitcoin related tokens. There's like Mubi, which is supposed to be like a Ordinals bridge. And then there's like Track TRAC, supposed to be like Ordinals tooling. And they have done insane over like the past few weeks. And like if Ordi got listed on Binance, then like people are betting that like Track or Mubi is going to be the next one. It's probably going to be Track. Um, but like the, the tooling is just going to keep getting better. It's, it's still pretty bad, but compared to two months ago, it's so much better. Do you guys, did you see this? Uh, there, I don't want to, I feel like I'm going to make this up and totally butcher it, but there was a mining pool that got formed. Then they're like, basically there's a couple other things they're doing, but one of the things they're doing is exclude, they won't mine blocks. And when they mine blocks, they will always exclude or no transactions because they like deem them to believe that they're spam. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I do actually. That's I believe that was F two pool, um, and they they walked it back. Like they already said, all right, we'll we'll stop because people were starting to like redirect their hash. It's called uh, it's it's a new one. It's called like Ocean. Let me look it up. Uh, Matt, did you find that stat real quick? Yeah, it looks like it's almost double. So like you can you can long on there a bit for for a basis that's like you know more, closer to ten percent, while CME is over twenty percent. Damn, that's that's meaningful. It's crazy nuts. Yeah, that is nuts. And on the ocean front, Dan, I think that's isn't that Jack Dorsey's inva- like backed like uh I guess decentralized mining pool. I might be putting myself in a corner here and just making shit up. <laughs> okay. All right, I got another question for you, Pibbles. How in the hell did we get our hands on some of these frogs? You gotta log on to the Unisat marketplace, I think. And uh you set up a Unisat wallet or you can set up a leather wallet. Leather used to be Hero, H-I-R-O, but they like rebranded to Leather. I don't know why. Um, but they're they're basically just like browser extensions and you'll fund that with some Bitcoin and pay some stupid fees and then pray that your like transaction comes through in like 20 or 30 minutes. Um, but the, the exchange experience is a million times better right now than it was when like the frogs first came out. And I, I know a couple of people who still have a ton of frogs. They're holding on to those. Oh, I, I gotta clear the air. I gotta clear the air. I wasn't making this up. They uh it is it is Jack Dorsey's thing, mining protocol or mining ocean mining, sorry. Um and they I guess they have a bit of a weird process with how they constitute miners, uh or how they pay out fees. Uh, I guess that like basically takes up block space instead of and whatever this is more the more popular method is, uh, which basically lowers the amount of fees that you can create for your your block, obviously. Uh, so that's a little bit of an interesting quirk. And then they also just choose to censor particular transactions, some of which are ordinals. Uh, so I guess that's just more of the core OG Bitcoiner belief where ordinals are spam, which is funny because I don't view ordinals as spam on Bitcoin uh, because there's no other alternative to use to kind of create these uh, NFT-like items, if you will. Uh, whereas I do very much so view inscriptions on smart contracts-based chains as spam. We've seen it on Arbitrum, Polygon, our uh avalanche i just saw a tweet about something on zk sync as well it's ruining all my charts and i'm I'm tired of it it is interesting that some people view inscriptions as spam given it's like right now the only hope bitcoin really has at solving its security budget concerns of of you know one day it being not profitable to mine so it's like it's crazy that bitcoiners really hate it but i mean i guess at the end of the day it is spam it's just spam that's going to save the network so uh, i guess i see both sides going back to my 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 stretch of a connection between praying and airdrops uh today i'm holding i'm holding in my cool throne airdrops so like recently you know throughout 2023 we saw a couple big airdrops so that was in the form of like arb and op um blur and prime but over the last few weeks we've already seen more air, like you know pretty much as many airdrops as we saw in that period of time so we've seen celestia vertex pith um and, you know, we have more announced. So we have Gito and Jupiter on Solana announced. And it seems that 2024 might be the year for airdrops. So, you know, go use go use networks. So I got to say, like, the reason that I was connecting praying to this was because recently I've been, you know, I'm not going to say sibling, but let's just say I've been experimenting in the wormhole ecosystem in hopes of getting an airdrop. So, you know, I'm bridging all over the place and using all the different apps built on top of wormhole. And Oh my gosh, I forgot what that pit feeling in the bottom of my stomach of I lost my funds trying to get money over to some new network. I hadn't had it in so long and I've had it like five times in the last week. 
always end, end up getting the funds, but the UX in crypto just has a lot to be, uh, a lot to be desired. Anyways, I guess for the airdrops that, you know, I'm paying attention to outside of Gito and Jupiter, which have already been announced, uh, we got in the Solana world, MarginFi, um, probably a few more in the bridging world. We have Warm and Layer Zero. And, you know, none of this is guaranteed, but we could speculate that maybe maybe these will have tokens in the future. We have Blast, CK Sync, Starknet as L2s coming up. Um, and, you know, probably more than I'm forgetting. Moral of the story is, you know, as a smaller investor or someone who doesn't have a ton of money, airdrop hunting, honestly, and airdrop hunters deserve to be in the cool throne. They've been killing it recently, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime in the near future. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that one. I think the pith one probably rings true for most people because they did a good job with the distribution there that you really just got tokens for using certain protocols that you, you didn't really probably realize you were even farming the, the airdrop for, right? Like, I think it was Quinto users got uh, rewarded pretty heavily because Quinto uses pith. And it was like basically other perps dexes that pith is plugged into. Kind of that's how they distributed their token, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and the question that that kind of spurs in my mind is, well, what does that mean for these ecosystems? And I think the, the pith one is very interesting for Solana in particular, because again, that was it, like some of the requirement was on different chains, like Aptos, EVM chains, uh, obviously Ethereum, it's L2s. And uh, they are rewarding those ecosystems users with a Solana based token to the tune of a couple thousand dollars. And yes, that's not a huge, huge number. <laughs> But if you go get three to $5,000 for free, uh, I promise you, you're probably going to go throw some of that around in the chain that you're now on, which is Solana. Matt, to your point, bridging is scary and painful. And that's kind of why there's a lot of friction is like once you're in an ecosystem, you don't really, you're not thrilled about leaving, right? So uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited for what this means for the Solana ecosystem. And again, everything in Solana is, is quite smaller scale. Total market cap is much smaller. The mid-cap uh, assets in Solana are much smaller, uh, and so when you get a four, three to again two to five thousand dollar airdrop a couple times over, you know you have users that have between ten and twenty thousand dollars of fresh capital. Um, so I'm I'm kind of thinking that there's going to be that that'll play a huge role in the catalyst of the Solana ecosystem. Uh, whereas of course that's true for ETH and its L2s. It's just the scales are much larger, right? Arbitrum's at a ten billion dollar FDV. Op Optimism's at about a six. Uh, we just talked about how Blast is already trading pre-futures uh, at about a four and a half billion. Like you just don't see those huge, huge numbers over in Solana for the most part. Yeah. Speaking of airdrops too, uh, Gito just announced like their allocation like an hour ago and it's, it looks pretty damn generous. I think uh, Pibbles and I might end up eating our words from last week once that thing actually gets a price, but I don't know how to value it. <laughs> it's like, there's no MEV. There's no priority for you. LDO plus Flashbots is the answer. You're probably right. So I'm definitely mid-curving this, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll see where it goes. It also lends, it like, you know, it could be a catalyst for Solana and its ecosystem as well. Today, TVL is just, you know, absolutely wrecked. Sam, you were mentioning it in our kind of analyst chat, just how Solana TVL has still been down only even in sole terms over the last month or two. Um, and it's like, you know, as these as these applications go, presumably go and give free money to their users as they, you know, become more robust ecosystems, likely we'll see Solana TVL and activity continue to go up and up. So if Gido goes and airdrops, you know, two billion dollars to its users and there is some use for it in its ecosystem that could be considering TVL all of a sudden, you know, we might have four times as much TVL for Solana just in the form of Gido. Obviously, that's like a stretch, but uh, just to get, make the point clear, like I do think that these will be a huge catalyst for Solana's activity. That's funny. I, I was like, damn, I, I didn't see Gito did a, another tweet announcement on kind of their airdrop. And I, I, of course, when I pull up the thread by typing it in manually, the first six tweets are all blocked because I've muted the word airdrop because the Twitter spam is so painfully bad right now. Second thought for sure. Yeah, this is interesting. It looks like about 80% of the airdrop allocation is actually going to be for Gito Soul holders. Uh, about 15 for the Gito Solana uh, client validators. Uh, and then 5% for MEV searchers who are actually participating in the MEV side of things, which is pretty interesting. Um, I'm literally just now looking at this thread, so I don't have like any meaningful opinions on it. But again, that's another another slug for the Solana ecosystem. And we talked about this last week. Spencer uh, Pibbles, you, you mentioned that one of the things was like, oh, this could just destined to be a high FTV, low float token. And 
that was that was like I've really been thinking, chewing on that, thinking about it. It's like, well, how do you avoid creating that situation? It's like, well, you either make team and investors liquid sooner, which is probably the opposite of what we're trying to do, uh, or you issue more tokens to the community sooner, uh, which isn't just like the greatest thing in the world, right? Just to slice off another chunk of your uh, your your token value, essentially your equity of your business for right at the, right at the onset of your your protocol. So I was thinking about like different ways that that could work, and honestly. Uh, then I went back and read Jupiter's, uh, their kind of tokenomics plan. And it, it's really, really interesting. They're basically doing a token sale from the DAO to token holders um, that will kind of like give the ability to alleviate some of that high, low flow, high FTV problem, right? Because when that becomes an issue is honestly exactly how Celestia is trading. When you get like a sub 10% or sub 15% of your token issued on onset, and then everybody wants to get in and the token price runs 4x from air, the airdrop value. That's essentially what it is exactly happened with Celestia. And now you have something that's trading at a $10 billion FTV that has a long way to go before that that number actually makes sense. And I'm not hating on the trade one bit here, but this is textbook setting up for max pain for any new buyer. Because as they start issuing new tokens and releasing those out, it starts to become the question of, is this token worth the FTV? You get closer and closer to that number. Uh, and, and when you start issuing tokens, the market cap and FTV need to end up beating in the middle is usually what will happen. Um, and so I find it very, very interesting kind of how that's playing all, playing out. Uh, but to kind of bring this back to Jito, I, 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 really, or I, I really like what Jupiter's doing. It kind of like creates this release valve. And it's probably bearish short-term price action, but it does avoid, you know, getting in that situation where you just have a down only token uh, after the initial run-up. If Cheeto trades at a billion FDV, any user who'd used it, and this big if, any user who'd used it before November 25th had 100 Cheeto points will have like approximate, this doesn't even make sense, but yeah, I mean, right, there's 115 million tokens in the circulating supply at launch. So at a billion, it might be, being crazy or would that be about ten dollars per token don't make me do math live moral <laughs> of the story it looks <laughs> it looks like it's going to be a very very large airdrop review. i don't know what you're looking at yeah it's about 100 i mean if there is if it's a billion ftv there is to be 115 million market cap at launch but i don't know i haven't looked enough into the distribution okay sorry but no matter what like it looks like it'll be about a five thousand dollar airdrop at a billion ftv for users who who have used it at all so that's a significant sum of money i saw some dude on twitter who was bragging about the fact that they deposited in like the super early days across like 25 or 30 wallets and just like did like i don't know like 100 bucks in each wallet and now they're getting like 100 g's which is pretty wild Meanwhile, we're out here doing fundamental research on, you know, like how you drive value to tokens and how DYDX now that it's a real yield token is, you know, uh, we could have just put $100 into GDSL. Yeah, no, it looks like every user is getting at least 4,000 tokens or 4,900 tokens. Yeah, I just wasn't sure what the total supply was, but if it's a, if it's at a billion, if it's a billion total tokens and it's a billion FTV, so it's dollar per token, whatever, like... That's five grand. Yeah, that's pretty similar numbers to um, like what a lot of people got with Pith. Obviously not me, because I'm in the U.S. But there were, I think it was like forty nine fifty or forty nine hundred to the T. It's like what they got, but then like the Pith valuation is way higher. So should be a good airdrop. Yeah, everybody's using the the chain link to Pith value comp there, and I, like that's why we're kind of trolling with the Lido plus Flashbots. But at the same time, like that Flashbots doesn't have a valuation that's market traded because there's no token, and Lido does. So I think what Lido is about two two and a half bill. Obviously, the numbers are much much smaller for Gito, but that is kind of the uh, the proxy to Ethereum. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to do. Just like Pibble said, you know, you got the chain link comp. It's it makes everyone look at the moon and the stars when they when they do valuations and, and whether they're thinking about selling, holding, or buying. But Dan, you had a really good uh, thread the other day. This is a little bit off topic, so maybe shifting shifting away from hot seat, cool throne. But um, Celestia, you put out a thread on like basically how much you know business per se you would need to do in order to like actually justify the valuation. 
could you share some uh some more thoughts on that and explain it yeah for sure for sure so I like jokingly tweeted, you know, Celestia's token was running up. This is probably was like a three X from from AirDrop, and I was like, has anyone done the the math to see how many rollups Celestia needs to be posting data on it for it to be a, just economically viable? Whatever that meant, it wasn't. It was supposed to be an open. It was a shit post. It was supposed to be an open ended question, um, and then everyone was like, no, I don't want to look at those numbers. Bad number, bad number. I was like, okay, so everybody's just trading this thing, uh, and it was pretty interesting because. Then I started digging and I was like, all right, you know, maybe I'll just go ahead and give a some napkin math here and see what it looks like. So Celestia generates fees when rollups post data to it. So for example, when Arbitrum settles down to Ethereum, it executes a few transactions that is literally posting a, a set of data that can be measured in megabytes. And that is ba- well, basically the, the amount you pay is based on that, that incre- increases the size of the transaction and therefore changes the amount of data you need. And so therefore, that's how the fees are determined. Posting on ETH is obviously much more expensive than posting on uh, Celestia. And so the question really was for me, like, what is the gap? Like, yes, it's obviously more expensive, but how, what does that actually look like in practice? And so Celestia charges about a four, a four price of 10 cents per megabyte, and Arbitrum posts about 300 megabits per day. So if, and if you fast forward that out for like a, basically a whole year, that's somewhere around, you know, 36,000 megabits of data, which therefore is about $3,600 in fees. So if you start doing the math there, you're like, okay, well, one Arbitrum isn't going to be what's open to the whole world. And it's also worth noting that lower fees to post data would probably generate more demand to create more data, right? For example, that would be Solana. The pure number of transactions is larger on Solana than other chains that are more expensive to use because you get things like bots coming in there and um, just kind of executing arbitrages for much smaller value, or you get things like uh, limit order books that just create more transactions in general, right? Think when when you have lower fees, there are more transactions to be created. So taking Arbitrum and saying, okay, well, Arbitrum posted this much data, so this is you know the perfect map over to Celestia makes no sense. I'm not doing this for the perfect map. It's just the the only directional signal we have is Rollups posting data on Ethereum today and saying, okay, well, where does that go from here? So, really, what you would need for this to make sense for Celestia is the total capacity that it can hit that of data that it can handle and over a day to be hit, and then Rollups then bidding to pay more to, to post their transaction to Celestia. So the total amount of capacity that data has to accept, or that Celestia has, is about 5,760, um, excuse me, about 576,000 megabits per day. Uh, and so roughly that is about 1,920 times more data than is being posted to Ethereum today as a whole. So that includes Arbitrum, that includes uh, OP main, that includes base, ZK sync, Polygon ZK AVM. Every world posting data to Ethereum today uh, would need to be about 1,920 more times data, right? And that is a, a very large number. I have no insights into whether or not that will happen or not. I don't. I just don't know the likelihood of that occurring because there's a lot of unknowns here, right? Like a, a good proxy will be how much data is Eclipse creating and posting to Celestia because the fees will be much lower. The execution environment is the SVM, so we can handle much more, uh, a much larger number of transactions. And that'll give us a little bit of a better proxy of saying, okay, instead of saying how many Arbitrums that post data to Ethereum do we need for Celestia to, to hit this data capacity, we can say, all right, well, how many more Eclipses does Celestia need to exist? Um, because the numbers just don't look great to me today, but... That doesn't mean that I'm like, okay, I'm permanently bearish on this. I, I just personally am not excited about a world where there's one million chains because I do crypto data and a world indexing a million chains is like borderline impossible. We are so far away from solving that problem and that is not a problem I want to have to deal with. So I, I, I part of me just doesn't want Celestia to work, but the reality is they need a shit ton more data to be created to be economically viable. So I think one thing worth pointing out is, what is it, 5% of daily gas on Ethereum is used to settle roll-up transactions. So you don't have all that noise there, right? Is Do I have that right in your, like, are you not accounting for that, Dan, in your calculation there? Can you say that again? 
Yeah, like so, like today, five percent of Ethereum gas is used to settle like roll of transactions. Is that included, or like, like, do you account for that in the back of napkin math that you came up with? Uh, I'm not sure. I really understand the way you're getting what your question is. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying, like, so it's going to be more expensive to post data to Ethereum because you're competing with other normal transacting users in order to have your data posted to the chain. So you're, I'm assuming you're not accounting for that fact, right? Right, right. Okay, I get it. Yeah, so the, the capacity is 5,000 or 576,000 megabits per day. And like Arbitrum is posting, or I, I think it's the total. Uh, let me pull up this before I just make this up. Uh, the totality of Ethereum rollups today are creating about 300 megabits uh, per data throughout 2023, right? So if you... Right now we're posting 300 per day and the capacity is 576,000. So there is way much, way more data needs to exist that's being posted before you get that supply and demand uh, actually playing out. Because right now you're just hitting the baseline fee every time because there's just basically no other transactions in your block is like one way to think about it. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what Celestia is going after. Maybe they're just going super cheap to like establish the network effects, and then they have like pricing power down the line. Well, that's that's one thing you would think, right? But then Eigenlayer or EigenDA comes online, right? The DA solution powered by Eigen Eigenlayer, and they actually have twice the amount of throughput cap- capabilities that uh, Celestia has, and that's pow- so Celestia created data availability sampling, which is a great way for light nodes uh, to very quickly and cheaply and efficiently. Uh, and securely ensure that what's uh, like the state is correct. And basically, I, I mean, I'm way oversimplifying here, but EigenDA said what you're doing with the light nodes, we're going to do at the consensus for our consensus nodes. Um, and it basically dramatically increased uh, what they are able to do in terms of throughput. So where, yeah, it's about two times more throughput. So theoretically you could, they could price even lower than Celestia could. And so then you're like, all right, well, if you don't have the best tech, like, do you really still have pricing power? It's it's going to be really, like, you're going to see a true race to zero. Like, there's already so many zeros in front of the, the decimal already, but you're going to see even more come on, come through when, when EigenDA comes out. Well, here's a question. So, clearly, Ethereum's not the best tech for, you know, posting data availability, even post-dank sharding, traditional dank sharding. Like, likely, it still won't be the best tech for posting data availability. So, are all, you know, based on this fundamental evaluation of Celestia, are all data availability layers pretty much doomed to fail if we don't live in a world with a million rollups, and that probably includes Ethereum, EigenDA, and Celestia? That's a great question, and I have no answer for it, really, other than what's driving ETH price valuation right now is that monetary premium, whatever that word means to you, because it's not even the fees for Ethereum. Yeah, they're high, but like it's not like, oh, P, uh, Ethereum has a great PE ratio. Like That's not even true. So... It, it really is that monetary premium thing, which means that it's a gas token on multiple chains and it's used in as a base pair for DEXs and it's used as the uh, pricing function for NFT markets and things like that, right? It's like used throughout the economy. And that's what they're trying to do with TIA. For, that's what Celestia is trying to do, right? Like they want it to be, they're creating that validating bridge so they can use it as the gas token for the rollups that build on top of Celestia. Um, the question is like, how do you bootstrap that? Ethereum got a lot, a lot of help for being first, and it's really, really hard to recreate that. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch them try. Like, I'm definitely rooting for them. I, I, I love the team. I think they're doing something really, really interesting. Now I'm all here for it. I've just thought it was interesting that the math is actually that far away that you need to 1,920x the current amount of data. Which again, that could be very possible. I just, I, have, I don't know. Yeah, that's wild. I thought that thread was like, or it wasn't even a thread. It was actually one of the super long tweets. Now that you can, now that you can have this, but nonetheless, I thought that was super interesting, and it just puts it into perspective. So maybe what they are going for is that monetary premium, but I'm sure we won't know for for quite some time. But I mean, hey, the price chart makes it look like that monetary premium strategy is working. So I'm not fading the trade on this one because that yeah. every, that one tweet, everyone's like attacking me for fading the trade. I'm like, I even said it was going to be a good trade. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's too funny. All right, we got Westy in Slack saying BTC run, ah, and he wasn't able to make this. So now I have FOMO not being able to check the price chart. So what do you guys say we call it uh, until next week? Uh, if Westy doesn't doesn't say say in Slack after listening to this episode that he heard that, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. But we'll see. I just saw the price behind Dan move. I'm pretty sure it went to like 42.5 or something. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
Uh, I rotate between Bitcoin, ETH, and Sol. So right now we're we're at we're at ETH at twenty two thirty four. That clock is sick. That was my uh, that was my last bull market purchase. Yeah. I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say how much it costs because it's like it's pretty raw technically. I mean, the back of it is literally just like a motherboard, um, and it, yeah, it was four hundred bucks. But at the time, it was just a fraction <laughs> of an ETH. <laughs> oh, that's great! All right, Pibbles, Matt, thanks for coming on, guys. We appreciate you taking an hour out of the day. See you next week or the one after that. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. We hope you really enjoyed it. Wanted to take one more moment to remind you guys about our upcoming 2024 Digital Asset Summit in London this March. Seats are limited, so be sure to hit the link in the description and use promo code 0x20 to save 20% off on your ticket. We'll see you in London. Be sure to hit us up if you plan on attending.